the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast camped squarely at the crossroads of geek culture and Christian faith. I'm James, and as always, my good friends, Mike and Brian, are hanging out with me. Brian, how are you doing today, my friend? I am extremely medium today. Just medium like a medium cola, huh? Kind of like slightly lukewarm cola, but not warm, just, but also not refreshing. <laughs> Don't expect any refreshing so, from me today. So basically like <laughs> Barks Root Beer on the soda fountain. Gotcha. All right. Mike, how are you? I'm like having flashbacks to The Legend of Zelda, like one of my favorite games. And there's that room where you enter and all some guy says at you is grumble, grumble. And that's me today. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm, you know, that's, that's, I'm a retro gamer. So I gotta, I gotta live every, every bit of, of, of the human experience in those games. And that's fine. It's fine. Living your life one bit at a time. <laughs> well, you are rocking it in that red robe and long white beard today. So. Thank you. I mean, I, I just I got this wonderful new red ring. <laughs> Hopefully that means I will take less damage, but that's fine. What about you, James? I'm feeling old. I'm feeling beyond my years. It could be that my birthday was yesterday. I don't know. I'm feel, feeling <laughs> feeling somewhat maudlin. Leveled up. I wish that on your birthday, there was actually like letters that would appear above you, like leveled up, level 44, so on, so forth. When you wake up, you don't hear. Dun, 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 dun. I so wish. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it's super easy, dude. All you have to do is just set your, the alarm, <laughs> set your alarm for that day to have that special tune. That's It's super easy. You should do it for your wife's birthday. <laughs> I would need to find a Legend of Zelda one for her. I mean, that's not hard. Can we can make this happen. That is my project for uh, for the, for this coming year, then. I mean, depending on how loud you said it, you might not ever see another birthday, but, you know, we can make this happen. <laughs> James, why did you order all these Bluetooth speakers off of Amazon? No reason, honey! You'll find out in nine months. <laughs> oh, that sounds dangerous, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the amount of mirth that can be made with simply a Bluetooth speaker is, is absolutely phenomenal. I recommend that everyone do this with their child or spouse or significant other is especially when you're packing up from a church potluck and you and you have a and you have a crock pot that you've washed out and you're taking home <laughs> to put a bluetooth speaker in there because it's perfectly natural for you to have your bluetooth speaker you know at church for reasons and then you ask your child or other person to, to, would you please carry this to the car for me? And as you are walking through the parking lot, play the sound of a bunch of meowing kittens coming from the crock pot. It's... <laughs> I will say, like, she looked at me and was like, I can't even be mad. That's like, wrong <laughs> and epic. <laughs> While also turning red. I mean, it was it was amazing. 
I recommend everyone do it. Well, you've inspired <laughs> me that next time I look in the backyard and I see my sons having a foam sword fight, I'm going to get the Bluetooth speaker, stick it out the window, and start playing Star Wars Duel of the Fates. <laughs> It's like, wow, they are really getting into this. Wow, which, which, I didn't know foam could cut. I didn't know one of them knew Muay Thai. He just flips it. <laughs> wow, it's incredible. Well, well, before any more Bluetooth shenanigans get thought up, let's head to Geek Out. Right. So I think we decided I was going to go first. Uh, so the uh, the costume that I've been working on for my brother's wedding is finally done. Yay, congratulations. I, I spent way more money and way more time on it than I had ever intended to. I saw the picture, though. Looked very cool. So I'm pretty excited about that finally being done and really disappointed with my level of craftsmanship. But I don't know what I was expecting from myself because this is like the first time I've done any sewing in 15 years, something like that. Yeah. How is it that you are not just automatically a master at something the first time you sit down to do it. Like every- I know that's what's supposed to happen. Right. Uh, every <laughs> cosplayer blog that I've looked at says I tried it for the first time and I was amazing. Mm-hmm. I made no uh, mistakes and everything came out perfect. Just like how I envisioned it. Exactly. Said no person ever. Right. So do you know what? Good on you. Yeah. I give you props for that popped collar, my man. <laughs> I wish I had had, like, the the fabric was not quite wide enough to make the hooks go as high as they were supposed to. And it took me a lot of different attempts and puzzling out how to try and get the thing to stand up. I finally wound up with, like, nine-gauge armature wire. <laughs> <laughs> That's not insignificant. <laughs> no, it is not. It was, like, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I'll start with, with what's recommended. And I got this boning. And so I ordered the boning. And what they sent me was not what I ordered. It was like really floppy. It's like, okay, well, I got to order more of this stuff. And I get the stuff that I actually ordered, and it's still too floppy. And it's like I'm doing – it's got like four layers now of different things sewn into it. It's terribly hideous. <laughs> so besides that, uh, I watched the Umbrella Academy, which if you remember back, a year and a half ago, uh, I talked about having seen advertisements for the show and the the chimpanzee character. And I thought, oh, are, are they doing Detective Chimp? And it turns out, no, they were not doing Detective Chimp. And so I didn't watch it. But I finally did get around to watching it. And it is, it's a decent show. Um, if you saw The Magicians, uh, it's very much in the same vein. I think like probably the same writers were writing the same script again. Uh, <laughs> But if you liked one of those shows, you'll probably like the other one. See, I uh, really liked season one of, of the Umbrella Academy. That really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. I thought that they um, also when they showed you, I think the episode was the day that wasn't like, what if we just do nothing and literally nothing bad happens uh, was was a fascinating what if look in the middle of the season to show that. Yeah, it's by trying to trying to subvert or undo what we see coming that we are we are we are a major contributing factor to what happens it was mm-hmm. really kind of fascinating. And yet they never they they finally do learn that lesson eventually, but it's too late to actually stop trying to intervene. I don't know that they <laughs> learned that lesson in season two. Like, I, I think that they I think that's one of the things that I kind of got tired at the end of season two. It's like, huh, this is kind of like season one, except they learn nothing. <laughs> one thing that I did find 
a little odd and not odd. I don't know what an adjective I really want, but uh, the the highest profile actor in the show is Elliot Page, and he was transitioning from Ellen Page into Elliot Page while the show was being shot, um, and actually transitioned uh, into a man. The character did uh, as a, as a story point. Oh, really? I that, that is that in season three? Yeah. Okay, I never saw season three. And it's like, it was really interesting to to see that because he's a very high profile kind of person who's who's done this, and to see it happen like in the context of the show was was kind of fascinating. Hmm. And I was I was a little bewildered because I'm seeing Ellen Page here, and they're always crediting Elliot Page, and like, but very clearly playing a woman. <laughs> uh, so to to have that play out in the show was. Unusual. I, I don't. I don't think that that's happened before. I think that's kind of the point: is that it hasn't happened before. I mean, it's it's not mm-hmm. like men have not been cast to play women, um, or right. um, I'm sure there's been at some point where a woman has been cast to play a man. I can't. I can't think of it. But I mean, if pirates did it and Revolutionary War soldiers did it, then I'm I'm sure Hollywood's done it somewhere. Um, I mean, just the point being that you're cast to play a part that it doesn't well, no I, I didn't mean the 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 cross-gender casting right but the I just that they the... did it that they that they transitioned the character as a response to, i mean i'm assuming i mean i guess i shouldn't assume but i'm assuming it's a response to transition uh, to the actor transitioning i would guess so right um i'm not entirely certain how the timing worked out there but it was it was certainly a, a fascinating like oh wow he's just putting that right out there on the screen for people to to process in the fiction. Right. Yeah. That I think is different. And yeah, I can't, I, I cannot recall a time that that's been done. And it's been fairly geek light for me. So that's all I had today. I, I'm going to be talking a lot during James's geek out. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I will pass it off to him. All right. Well, as we all know, a lot of new geeky and genre television shows have come out recently. Two that my wife and I have been enjoying, I will just mention briefly, uh, Lower Decks Season 3 has come out, and they're really hitting their stride with this one. It's been very enjoyable, uh, the first few episodes that we've watched. Uh, I've also enjoyed the new Marvel TV show, She-Hulk. It's been fun, without getting too deep into it or really reviewing it. It's just been fun to catch as it's come out. So I've been enjoying it. It. I don't think it's fantastic, but it's it's kind of refreshing at least. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's not bringing anything new to the MCU, but the the actress who plays Jennifer Walters and She Hulk is is fun, and watching her do that dual role as trying to be a lawyer and being slowly pulled against her will into the superhero world has been has been fun. Like I said, um, so she's finding it's not easy being green. <laughs> indeed not yes i'll be waiting for the banjo episode <laughs> uh two things i have really been enjoying have been a game and a book uh not long ago a great book called legends and lattes was recommended to me by author travis baldry and you two have talked about how much you enjoy slice of life anime mm-hmm. this is like slice of life fantasy Okay. Um, 
it's a high fantasy world, but very, very low stakes story. It tells the tale of this orc barbarian named Viv, who has gone on her last adventure. She is tired of the whole lifestyle and of fighting. And she decides that she wants to move to a nice town and open up a coffee shop. I'm, I think I've heard of this before. Did Perna recommend this? I wouldn't be surprised if he had. It talks about her troubles of trying to open the shop, trying to find customers. It's just a fun and delightful tale. Very easy reading. So go check that. It's not too long either. As fast as you and many of our readers read, you'll have it knocked out in less than a week. And I think that you will enjoy it. I found it a very, very fun read. All right, I think that you've I think that you finally talked me into this thing. I, I it's 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 officially on my list. And by list, I'm dog-earing it in my mind and I'm done reading the other three things that I'm reading and also in between my work reading, hopefully I'll take a look at it. Possibly by mid 2024. Don't you judge me in front of all these nice <laughs> listeners. Just speaking truth here, my man. <laughs> um, but the other thing that both Joy and I have really been enjoying is a new game, well, new to us anyway, called It Takes Two. It is a local co-op game that I downloaded onto the PS5, and it has just been delightfully fun. It tells the story of a married couple who are planning on getting a divorce. You know, great fun. (laughs) (laughs) But the story is told through the lens of a pair of dolls that their daughter Rose made who she believes that if she could just make her parents be friends again, everything would be fixed. And the parents fall asleep and they awaken to find themselves in the bodies of the dolls their daughter has created. And this, this relationship help book that she found has anthropomorphically come alive with a horrible Spanish accent, complete with guitar strumming in the background every time he talks. (laughs) and is guiding you through these levels to try to fix your relationship. That sounds either wonderful or horrible, or maybe both. It could very (laughs) well have been done very kitschy and cringy and horrible, or with a not sensitive touch. But we've played about three quarters of the way through, and the way that it is handled, why their relationship fell to the degree that it has, how they feel about each other, and also how important their daughter is to them has been coming out slowly as the plot has advanced. Uh, the gameplay has been incredible. It is, it's completely, you cannot play this game one player only because to advance through the levels, you are presented with several puzzles that you have to work with your partner in tandem to solve them, to get through to the next section. And as you are going through the different themed levels, whether it's inside your daughter's bedroom, uh, the attic, the outside garden, and the book gives you uh, power-ups, which fit inside of these themed worlds that are exclusive to each character, each the mom or the dad, uh, Cody and May, which they use in tandem or by themselves to progress the story. And it's been a visual delight. Our kids have loved watching it. We'll go pick up the kids from school and we'll be getting dinner and they'll be asking, can you play It Takes Two tonight? Oh my gosh. <laughs> And while occasionally there has been some language that I did not expect in a game that looks as cartoony as this one does at times. Oh, just wait um, for my geek out. (laughs) It has allowed us to open the door to some discussions with the kids uh, about some of these issues in a very positive way. 
And moving on with my geek out, and I saved this one for last because I knew this is where Brian is going to be co-opting part of mine. <laughs> you know, I'll just skip it. Let's move on. Um, I mean, you assume it's just Brian. so <laughs> I do, as I am sure the two of you have as well as many people out there. Uh, we have been watching the new Amazon series that we've all been waiting for, The Rings of Power. So... Before I'm completely talked over and forgotten, <laughs> I decided to go into this series with an open mind. And I had read a lot of reports. I had read all of the stories about how Amazon had turned off the early reviews because it was being tanked. And how basically what was being shown was paid reviews. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, I don't know how much of that is true. You know, but even if only a portion of it is, that's very worrying. But I decide I'm just going to watch it. I'm just going to watch and see. We'll see what happens. No, you have to get mad before you see a thing and then start a blog. That's the way the internet works, <laughs> you're right, James. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because I forgot because life isn't lived to its fullest unless I've argued with people over the internet until the day I die. Right. And it turns out that 30% of them are bots. So, I mean, if you can't win <laughs> arguments against bots then how can you be angry how can you be angry enough at Th real then how people? how can i call myself a true fan right honestly? exactly yeah so that's so. what fandom means <laughs> um that's a whole nother geek at arms topic <laughs> i think we talked about to uh, fandom toxicity earlier go back yes, to when we yep. had bex on and talking about miyazaki and stuff so mm -hmm. listen to that and then come back yeah so having watched the first 3 episodes I have been enjoying it. I have. There have been some things that I have been critical of. Okay. But overall, I'm enjoying it, and I'm going to keep watching it. I am seething with envy that you're enjoying it, because I really want to. I understand. <laughs> I watched the first episode, and I'm like, that's nice. I'll get, I'll get back to it. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I don't want to be the kind of person that wants to poo-poo on anybody else's fun. If you're enjoying it, fantastic. It's just making me mad. Okay. But I'm not going to spread my mad out on everybody else. Like, here's the thing, though, is that you're our friend and we do value your opinion and you can share why you don't like it. I yeah. mean, this is a safe space mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. It, you go, go ahead, my man. I mean, I've, I've I, talked that I like it. I haven't gotten into deep <laughs> about why I like it, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know me and how I'm generally pretty generous with things, things like this, like Wheel of Time, I could see how many problems it has. I could, I, there's a lot to, to dislike, but I enjoyed it because I wanted to enjoy it. And it was, a, it was a good show. And I wanted to enjoy this one so much, but from the very get go, the, the elf bullies on in Valinor, you're in heaven and you're bullying Galadriel. No. And I'm sorry, Galadriel, but just pulling your hair over your ears is not going to make you look not elf. Elves are a lot more than pointy ears. You're not a Vulcan. <laughs> Do you really think you're going to swim a thousand miles across the Sundering Sea to escape a fate that Gil-Galad could not have sentenced you to anyway because the Valar forbade you from returning to Aman because you were a rebel? <sighs> and there's 1,500 years missing between the forging of the rings and Numenor's decline. You can't just skip a thousand years and yeah. Kasha said a similar thing because she, she was watching the beginning 
and she only made it about five minutes in like she had like there was a lot of not like she rage quit but just there there were other things going on and she's looking at the first five minutes like none of this makes sense you're giving me an intro that makes no sense wait why did why did the light in the tree die wait a minute everything's so perfect why is there bloodshed and i'm like kaja weren't you paying attention when you told me to turn down the silmarillion <laughs> and then she looked at me like you would expect somebody to look at me when i say something like that um, <laughs> and i mean really it is they they can't use any of the silmarillion content which is kind of puzzling as to why they started it the way that they did yeah well and i don't have a problem with them not being able to use the silmarillion but they should not contradict the Silmarillion. Okay. So I have and you missed... shouldn't try to compress the entire Second Age into probably sixty or seventy years, which is what they're going to have to do. So okay, I am. I have not read or seen that they are not. Why are they not allowed to use anything in the Silmarillion? Okay, yeah, that's a really good question. The answer is money. <laughs> uh, Saul Zane's corporation acquired rights to make movies out of the Lord of the Rings back in the sixties or seventies. They never were able to acquire anything other than those rights. And they were the ones who were administering the license. So basically, um, they're using the appendixes at the end of Return of the King. Yes, exactly. Basically, and some of the Lost Tales. And they... No, they can't get any of that either. Oh, no. Nothing except the Lord of the Rings itself and the appendices. Okay, so... They can't use anything from the history of Middle-earth, anything from the Silmarillion, anything from the letters. None of it. So basically what they're doing is they're taking the appendices and writing fanfic. If, if you approach it as like, I honestly, that actually makes mind. me, this is going to blow you away a little bit, but that makes my enjoyment of it increase a bit because now I know what they are limited to and what they are trying to do with what they have. And so I can be a little bit more forgiving. They did have though the uh, family tree of the Kings of Numenor in the appendices. And there's no excuse for skipping 1500 years. <laughs> I think we're going to going to keep coming back to that with you. Yes. We so, have a press re we have a press release from uh from the writers that just said oh, but that was so boring. And then that's it. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to make a show out of a family tree, but plus you really really like the book of numbers. Don't you start talking about the book of numbers here. Like, this is... Guys, guys, we all agree that that would be a better musical than a movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've established this. But I, I would just like to reiterate that if you're enjoying it, you know, this, this is speaking to the audience and James parenthetically, but if you're enjoying it, I, I envy you. Keep enjoying it. You know, tell people that you enjoy it. Great. And I will try to just button up my outrage <laughs> so james why do now that we now that we've gotten brian's take on this uh why, why do you like it i'll get to that but oh. like brian you have like what could be called the burden of knowledge now like you that i had better not be gandalf that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah that kind of worried Brody, me yeah we'll get to that in a second uh, um, i know it is but it better not be I yeah know. <laughs> i know <laughs> it's his brother Fandolf. Anyway, sorry, go on. It was when he was still finalizing his character sheet. <laughs> um, 
like you, Brian, I've, I've got a deep love for all things Lord of the Rings. One of my favorite podcasts I listen to every week is the Prancing Pony podcast. Good stuff there. But my my knowledge of the lore of the first and second age is not as deep as yours. Therefore, possibly part of my willingness to accept what I'm seeing on screen is because there's some things I just don't know. And there have been some things that I've found just very, very enjoyable. Like, I know you've only watched the first episode, Mike, but here soon Elrond is going to be taking a trip to Moria. The design of early Moria was breathtaking. Mm -hmm. I really do enjoy that storyline. I, I love Durin and his wife. Mm -hmm. Oh, Durin and Disa. You know what? Let's just go ahead and cancel the Rings of Power after this first season. Let's take all the money and make the Disa and Durin show. He's entitled it Moria. <laughs> <laughs> And Excuse like, me, Moria, Moria, because we must trill all of the R's and proper names, but nothing else. But <laughs> I want them to shoot in a TGIF style sitcom style before a live studio audience. And it's just Duran, Disa, you know, running Moria and chasing after their little sons who are always wearing dwarfish masks that are too big for them. And occasionally Elrond will show up as a special guest star of the week and, you know, Who's that at the door? It's Elrond. The audience goes wild. Woo! Yeah. Like when Uncle Jesse walks in. <laughs> and then it will make a lot more sense to cast a Neil Patrick Harris lookalike. Oh, oh dude, gosh. did you have to yeah, say right? that? Did you? <laughs> I had to. It was required in my contract. I know you haven't read the thing, but it was there. I... Okay, here's the problem, though, because now that you've said that, I can't unthink it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> Well, we'll see where it goes. You know, we had our problems with the Wheel of Time TV show, but we were willing to stick around to, to check out season two. And from what I've seen from these first few episodes of the Rings of Power, I'm more than willing to stick it out and see where the season goes. Yeah, have yeah. they squashed a lot of things together? Uh, and even like with, with, my, my, with my limited knowledge of the second age, even I realized like, wait, that he, okay, no. Sauron is supposedly making a comeback, but isn't, but we've already been introduced to Celebrimbor. And we've also already been introduced to these other um Okay, wow. Okay, we're just throwing things into fast forward, aren't we? I would really maintain that if they had done something like the first season, covered everything up to the forging of the rings and uh, the start of the, the big like thousand-year conflict... And then we'd fast forward it a thousand years. And so we saw, saw the, the friendship between the elves and Numenor at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then season two, we jump forward a thousand years and we're seeing a different Numenor that's turned their back on their traditional ways. And we're wondering, well, what's happened in the meantime that Numenor and the elves are no longer friends. That would have been a really great season two. And then you have your great, your wonderful mid-season reveal of, oh my gosh, the advisor of the king is actually Sauron, and that's why everything's gone wrong. I would have liked that a lot better than trying to compress everything, both of those conflicts, into the same season. I can only think that they've already got like quite a few seasons planned out, and they've got like their storylines for like season one, season two, season three ready to go. I, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do because there's there's a lot that they. I'm sure there's already a lot that they've got packed in. And they've already packed a lot into this these first few episodes, and they've set the stage do one for so much more. Ring, 
One season. We've got got 20 of these to look forward to. (laughs) At the end of every season, it's just going to have Sauron with a tiny little chisel and hammer hammering another letter into the ring. I, that's that's I, number okay. That that's that's number uh, tw- number twelve done. That idea has inspired me to talk about franchise fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's pretty much going to wrap up my geek out. So before we get to that, Mike, what have you been geeking out to? Me? Oh, nothing. Not done anything exciting. Um, I did wait. No, um, I did go to a little place called Galaxy's Edge which was pretty amazing. Um, yes. Yeah. A couple of my friends have been begging me to come to Disney World for years. And finally this year, I found a way to make it happen. So I spent two days with them in Disney and uh, we went to the Hollywood Studios and they showed me around Galaxy's Edge, which is the Star Wars section of Disney World. And it was just the most incredibly immersive experience ever like it was just in some ways it felt like being there and i i don't want to give anything away but i mean i we we did we did rise of the resistance first i mean after star tours because you have to hit star tours on the way um and i haven't seen star tours since i don't know forever and so it was it was cool to see what they've done with it. It was a little bit of a rougher ride than it had been previously, at least as far as my aging memory <laughs> tells me. Um, <laughs> how reliable is a 20-year-old memory? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And so we went to Rise of the Resistance, and it was just such an incredibly immersive experience that I almost cried. Like there is a certain point where your shuttle doors open and someone invites you out and not realizing that I would be stepping into just this full vision of, of something completely unexpected. It, I like, I almost cried. Like it was just so overwhelmingly like being in there. And I, kind of had another one of those moments on the ride uh, seeing um, seeing a walker up close uh, and seeing the full scale of it was just really incredible. I imagine that's going to be my reaction when the day comes I hopefully get to go. No, it is it is an amazing experience. Yeah, I want to talk about it in more detail, but I also don't want to spoil it because the <laughs> when I was there, I saw people like pulling out their phones and recording this and I'm like, can't can't you just live it? And what a friend of mine had said, well, why can't they're like, Hey, do you know how they did that? Do you know how they did that? And I just kind of <laughs> drew my fingers across his lips. Like, let's just, let me, let me enjoy this experience well, on the you're, second time through. You're, you're kinder than I am. I probably would have drawn it across his neck and saying, shh, <laughs> <laughs> you will be quiet now or I will make you quiet. So I went on both rise of the resistance and smugglers run twice. And, uh, and, you know, I, I took a few more pictures the second time through uh, with Smuggler's Run, where if you remember when Brian was talking about this, it's you are contracted by Hondo to to capture some crates. And so they put you in not exactly a video game simulator experience because it's on some levels on the rails, but you also do have influence over 
over the controls and how how things go. Uh, you can be either a pilot or you can be a uh, an engineer or you can be a gunner. Uh, I went through twice and you can be, I, I was the gunner and I was the engineer. And of the two, I actually found the engineer more enjoyable because with the gunner, you can just button mash and and blast things when they happen to come through your your sights. Uh, with the gun, with the engineer, you're actually responding to what's happening in the ship. And granted, you're just pressing buttons. That's all you're doing. It's like when your uh, when your button lights up, press that button to 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 fix the ship. Well, I mean, I imagine that you know, car repair and 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 ship repair and <laughs> aeronautics repair is a little simpler than that. Otherwise, I you know we wouldn't you know have mechanics. We just take the dip switch from broken to fixed. Um, now that's all you have to do is just press the button. It's lit up and your car is fixed. Exactly. That's the big secret. Why, why didn't, why didn't I look up how to do that on YouTube? And that's why Brian has had so many cars is because he actually <laughs> believes that. <laughs> my car's I actually repaired my car by myself this, uh, two weeks ago. No oh, way. Wow. I looked out the window and saw my brake lights were on. I'm like, well, that's unusual. Uh huh. And so I, I had to do some Googling and find out. And it turns out it was so hot. There's this little thing. There's this, like this plate on your brake pedal that pushes up against the switch. And that switch is what controls the brake lights. And inside the plate is this plastic insert with a disc on it. And the disc is what actually pushes against the switch. And that disc had, it was so hot that the disc had melted and was found on my floorboards. So I had to buy a new one and stick it in there. It's like, and it made me wonder, why don't they just make the metal plate a little bit closer and take the hole out? And then they wouldn't need this plastic bit that melts and falls off. Okay, so for, to, to fix the ship in Star Wars, I have to press the button. To fix your brakes, you had to stop pressing the button. Okay. Yes. Okay. I will say those those buttons in the in the Falcon are very satisfying to push. They're big and clicky. Yes. See, that was going to be my question. Was it a touchscreen or are they actual physical controls? They're blitz. Oh, they're... they're switches and their buttons that you push and they click and they they have a great tactile sensation it's perfect Ooh, that's awesome it was it was amazing i mean hollywood studios as a whole has some pretty incredible stuff and there, there was one thing that was so incredible that i, I can't not share with you guys is i think you'll appreciate this is that my friends is hey have you been on the the hollywood tower of terror and i'm like well i haven't been here since 1992 or three. Oh yeah 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 i've been there listeners i want you to understand the tower of terror was not constructed until 1994 so <laughs> he's like okay everything's totally changed since since the 90s so it's totally different like okay so i remember I remember being in a terrifying and massive air quotes that you can't see since it's an audio medium <laughs> of all these terrifying things, you know, Oh no, there's hologram ghosties. Oh, they're so cool. Uh Oh, there's a hologram ghostie in my cart. Oh no. It's like, okay, so this is totally different. I didn't share these thoughts, which would have tipped them off that I had no idea what I was talking about. And so, but he's told me like, okay, everything's different. Everything looks completely different. I'm like, okay, so I accept whatever is presented in front of me without critically evaluating it. Never, ever shut off that part of your brain listeners. And so 
you know, ignoring the screams of people going by, which are probably from a nearby roller coaster or whatever. So as I'm getting onto the Tower of Terror, like, okay, belt yourself in. Okay. Oh, it's Twilight Zone theme now. Okay. Odd choice, but Holly, whatever. And so as we're going through the ride and we're finding out what terrible thing happened on this freight elevator that we were on. Oh my God, I, it's Rod Serling. I, I, I turned to Brent and I'm like, I'm not sure I've been on this ride. And then when the ride started to go up, I was like, oh, no, this is definitely different. But there's going to be, I'm reminding myself, there's going to be a drop. Like, I don't particularly love drop rides, but I'm just reminding myself there's going to be a drop. But I'm enjoying the fiction that they're presenting in the holograms and whatnot. Then they shatter that. Like, there's the expectation of the fiction, which they shattered by opening up these bay doors and letting me see how high above the park that I was before <laughs> dropping me about, like, my oh, no. body dropped about three stories and my soul remained relatively in place in search of something to connect to. And that was the first drop, as they drop you like eight times or whatever. And as I'm getting off, like, I don't think I've been in the Tower of Terror before. I had a really big lunch, let me tell you. That was a big, Ooh. big lunch. And that, that, yeah, I highly recommend that ride if you like drops. <laughs> So anyway, I thought that you'd be amused at my foolishness. So I shared it with you and, you know, the internet. Yes. So, yeah, there are some nuanced differences between the Tower of Terror and the, um, <laughs> and the Haunted Mansion. Um, if you like silly hologram ghosties, that's your thing. So that was my Galaxy's Edge experience and my Disney experience. There are a couple. I'm, Go ahead. I'm pretty envious. I mean. Both you and Brian have been to uh, Galaxy's Edge now, and uh, I need better friends. None of you has invited me to go. <laughs> We're going to smuggle you in a cargo crate. Don't worry. We'll be pulling you out of that life-size giant Millennium Falcon. And it, yeah, I actually for real wonder what's on the inside of that. Probably nothing. It would spoil the illusion. I have my doubts that if James is inside the giant life-size Millennium Falcon, that we would be able to get him out. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is true. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> I know I spent a lot of time on Galaxies Edge, but I do want to hit just a couple of other things kind of quick. Uh, I've been playing a lot of a game called Spiritfarer, and it has been one of the most delightful, chill, beautiful things that I've engaged and I've really appreciated it. Where you are working with spirits of the dead or dying and helping them resolve some of their their last thoughts or wishes and then ushering them through through the doors to what lies beyond. And it's all made with this cell shaded animation style that just looks so pretty. And it all takes place on this world map where it's a group of islands out on the ocean and there are different encounters on the ocean and there are different exploration elements and the game is all 100% side quest. So if you, if you are the sort of gamer that likes to stick to the main quest and not touch the side quests, this is absolutely not the game for you, but it's, it sounds kind of grim, but it really takes a more positive 
step in terms of working with people in their last moments. And not all of these moments are positive. They're not always good things that they want, but it's a matter of helping some sort of resolution happen and getting them to the point where like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm good to cross over. I need to cross over or I want to cross over. And the spirits are all in the forms of anthropomorphic animals. And they actually have a hug mechanic that actually does something in the game. And I'm like, you know, that's too charming. I like that. <laughs> and that's how it sold 10 million copies. I mean, I mean, it's just it's just good, clean fun. No pressure. It's yeah. If you're if you're looking for a relaxed, chill experience and you like side quests, this is your thing. Check it out. Uh, and the two player co-op, you the first player plays Stella, the protagonist. The second player plays her cat and i'll tell you the animations on the cat are just too much fun like once you get a certain power up that allows you to to float on on updrafts the cat just kind of puffs out and makes this air out of the balloon noises as it drifts on the air it's like <laughs> but i'm like this is too fun i could do this all day <laughs> i have a feeling that joy and i will be fighting about who gets to play the cat I mean, playing the cat, like the cat has the disadvantage of it can't talk to people, but that's it. Otherwise, absolutely play the cat. The animations are better. Uh, there, it's, there's no voice acting, but you know, if you're, there is some adult language, like it, it's never going to hit, I think maybe might hit PG-13. They don't, they don't ever, they don't ever like drop an F-bomb or anything, but it's, uh, it, it is assuming that there's an adult operating the game or at least somebody who's aware of of adult interactions so you know if 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 your five-year-old asks you to read the dialogue boxes aloud then you know skip a bit you know just heads up james <laughs> and other than that i have been reading the expanse novels uh, leviathan wakes in caliban's war and i thought that the expanse was a great television show i really enjoyed it my reading life lately has been really slow because I've had to read a lot of things for work or a parishioner will say, somebody recommended I read this book for this spiritual, this, that, or the other, please read this book and tell me what you think. And so I've not been reading anything that I want to read. I've just been, not since November have I touched a book that I was really interested in reading. And so picking up these wonderful engaging reads has made me remember how much I used to love reading uh, and I highly recommend them the shows are fairly accurate representations of the tone of the work I think that that maybe the first season of the tv show was a bit darker like some of the like the OPA is a little bit of a darker organization than it is in the books but you get more time of Amos Burton being even more Amos Burton, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I cannot hear Avasarala's voice other than, <laughs> yeah, other than what was represented in the show. And I'm not mad about it. She's got such a great voice. I mean, why would you want to? And she was so well cast. It was just an incredible bit of casting for her. Um, but you have these moments that don't transition well into a visual medium that I'm so glad are, are in the books, such as just yesterday I was reading where they've, 
at the end of season two, they've rescued Prax's daughter. And so Bobby and Amos have gone down to the machine shop to, to play catch with May. And they were in microgravity. So when I say they were playing catch with May, there was no ball. <laughs> so they're just tossing this girl back and forth in microgravity and in a machine shop and a Vassarala just loses it on them. <laughs> it was just, it was just a beautiful interaction. I highly recommend checking out the Expanse novels. If you enjoyed the TV series or haven't even seen the TV series, check them out. So you recommended these books to me as you were starting them. I think you had just finished Leviathan Wakes. Um, I've seen the first season of the TV show. I haven't had a chance to do any follow-up with it. And I've been looking at these books, but I want to ask you, it looked like that there were nine of them in total. Is that it? Is it done? Or are there going to be more? That is a great question. Um, I'm going to say, if there's money to be made, they'll make another one. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I haven't read that far ahead. I'm not even sure that Kaja, she's she's pretty far ahead of me. I don't, I don't know that she's there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Space.com says there's one more The Expanse novella coming in 2022. Uh, I think it ended. Okay. Speaking of novellas, though, Brian, did you ever get around to reading the latest novella from Jim Butcher uh, in the Dresdenverse? Uh, yeah, I did. And I agreed with your assessment that it was, it was okay. Um, it seemed like it was treading a little bit of the same ground as it has he's done before. I don't think mm -hmm. that Butcher is really great at the short form stuff. And I also think that he maybe traumatized himself with a character death. Well, he deserves because, it. Yeah, because he was he was really not engaging with that part of the story, and Harry wasn't really. I didn't feel like there was a, the emotion was really there. And I think that Butcher was, was not into writing it. Yeah. The first time I read it, I felt a little disconnected from this Harry. Like this isn't the guy who we've known throughout all these years. And then I started thinking about it as this is a Harry that is experiencing some PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I also looked at how he handled the case that was brought to him. And I started to think that he's strong arming this and he's kind of falling over his own feet because he's forgotten how to be a private detective. Yeah. He, he's forgotten the nuance, the subtle skills that he used to have and is just trying to strong arm his way through this. So once I got into that mindset, I was able to understand it and enjoy it a little more. Yeah. Maybe I'll give it another read with uh, his own disassociation in the back of my head. Because, yeah, it did, it did seem like he was kind of bumbling through things and not not doing the things that he normally would have done. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, where this fits in the Dresden Files and my enjoyment thereof, I think it's pretty low. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'd put it, like, somewhere along the level of Full Moon in terms of how much I liked it. A fair assessment. I'm sorry, Mike, didn't mean to steer things away, but just the novella mentioned reminded me <laughs> about the law. I got no problem with you guys geeking out during my geek out. <laughs> I just hope that this isn't a sign for what's to come with Butcher, because as much as I have enjoyed his novels over the years, I would certainly hate to get fatigued by them. Indeed. I think this is probably a good opportunity to ask the question, 
since it's so naturally come up in conversation. What do you mean by franchise fatigue? We've touched on this a couple of times, particularly recently when I talked about how my feelings toward the MCU is just I've kind of gotten bored with it and that there's just so much of it and it's feeling kind of samey and I'm just ready for something fresh. But maybe I shouldn't have done that start to finish comprehensive rewatch of the entire thing. That <laughs> might have contributed. Well, yeah. it, it may not have helped. I think you would have gotten there anyway. Both you and I have brought up how we're feeling about two different franchises uh, owned by the same company now, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you <laughs> with the MCU and me with Star Wars as a whole. Uh, there was a time when my knowledge of Star Wars was dang near encyclopedic. I had read all the novels in the comics, all the movies that had been out, supplemental material. Now, though, ever since, you know, the old stuff has been labeled as legends and Disney has started putting out their new material, which is supposed to be canon in the forms of comic books, novel after novel, uh, cartoons, Lego series. <laughs> um, I don't think those are canon, though. <laughs> I'm sorry. If the Freemakers aren't canon, then I don't care anymore. Anyway, <laughs> the new trilogies, the standalone movies, so much has come out of such varying degrees of quality that I've just found I, I don't have the desire and the excitement that I used to have. It's starting to feel thin, like butter spread over too much bread. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so i think it's interesting so i'm i mean i think that the first time no I, I shouldn't say the first time like i i know what you mean about just having rewatched something and that leaving you feeling fatigued i i remember after after revenge of the sith came out on dvd i hosted a youth event at my church where we watched all six star wars films in a row and i mean you know, that doesn't sound shocking anymore because after we've had so many movie marathons, but I mean, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, I also had pneumonia at the time. So, you know, that also contributed, <laughs> but after two kinds I, of fatigue. Yeah. Right. But I mean, like after, after that experience of, of eating the whole can of whipped cream, I kind of didn't watch any star Wars for a good long while. So, I, I mean, I would say that the amount of the media that you're consuming probably has some, some some degree of impact on it. But, you know, I still love Star Wars after it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Min Max recently, I don't know how recently because I'm not current on their uh, their show, uh, pointed out that when the MCU was, was getting up and running, we had at most two movies a year. And now we're getting at least two movies a year and probably two or three TV shows. Okay. So with, with so much coming out, I guess that's, that's kind of hinting at why do we feel fatigued? And part of it sounds like there's just so much of it. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it, it varies from one property to the, to the next, but the MCU in particular has this lack of dynamic range, uh, discounting the last two TV shows. Cause I, I kind of want to touch on them in a, right after I say this, but like, if you look at the movies, they don't seem to have any concept of a movie can be about people. The movie has to be about, you know, world shattering events. And it's like, uh, 
there was a, a Mission Impossible movie that I watched a while back. I don't remember which one it was, but the soundtrack was the same volume the entire time. Ooh. It never got quieter. <laughs> and that's, I feel like that's the same thing with the MCU is it's the same volume all the time. The world is always in peril or the universe is in peril now. And we, we've had a couple like um, Black Widow that kind of dialed that down and it was a little bit more personal a story. But for the most part, it's just too loud all the time. I did enjoy the lower stakes plot that the Hawkeye series brought us. Right. And that was what I was was referring to. Hawkeye and She-Hulk and uh, to some degree Miss Marvel. It still had a world-ending threat. But I think that the actual plot line was a lot more personal in that one. I completely forgot about Miss Marvel. I never did see that. Uh, the world is going to blow up and Miss Marvel stops it from happening. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's one of the things that, that actually I started to feel kind of a certain way during the later, the later Avengers movie, I think end game. And what was, what was before end game or what was after end game? I don't Infinity remember War. the Infinity War. That's right. Whenever the snap happened, like when it destroyed ev- half of everybody, I didn't feel any dramatic tension. Like they've mm-hmm. just killed off everybody that we loved. So now I know they're going to bring it back. Like it felt so extreme that it was safe. And it's like, hmm. I, if, if I felt like there were any stakes that they might not succeed, I'm, I might feel more. So that kind of calculus was, was there for me when, when I was engaging the MCU and I was like, huh, I'm not as into this as everybody else is. Yeah, that's kind of a problem with comic books in general, that nothing is ever permanent. And, you know, it was a big deal when they killed Superman, but he was back, you know, a year later. And the movies have just continued to do that thing, the same thing. And even even the, the long-term consequences of Endgame, of uh, Hulk's arm being mangled, they've undone that now too. <laughs> Did they give him a bionic arm like Bucky? Because that would be great. They did not. That would have been cool. Bionic Hulk. Now he better get his own Disney Plus show. <laughs> but really, why do we feel fatigue? I mean, I get that volume is is some of it and consistency is some of it. But one thing, James, that you had said that I think is is a common perception is there's just so much of it. And I I don't know if they're just being a lot of it is is a factor because when i first got into doctor who i knew that there was 50 years worth of material that i was not ever going to catch up on i'd never really felt motivated to try Uh, in the star wars novels during the 90s there was a lot of it coming out but i never felt fatigue some of it i just fell off some Mm -hmm. of it i was enjoying some of it i wasn't there was a point at which i i quit so I think that there's something more than just how much of it. I mean, I think there has to be another element. I have a couple of ideas as to what what that might be. But I, I see here in the notes well, that, James, you might have some well, ideas too. Well, what I said earlier about Star Wars, you want to keep you know throwing stuff out there, whether it's cartoons, whether it's TV shows or movies. Okay, fine. But make it good. Like Brian <laughs> said, every story doesn't need to be an end of the world story. Hmm. 
at some point, I mean, you just kind of start running into crisis fatigue. A lot of people in the world felt that when we were going through COVID and also in the early parts of like 2020, 2021, where it seemed like there was something horrible happening every other month. On top of that, we were in a pandemic and a shutdown and people just started feeling crisis fatigue because it was one thing after the other. And we're seeing that in the MCU. Honestly, uh, the fact that at the end of the Eternals movie that there is a marble hand and head sticking out of the planet, people were probably looking at that going, eh. Uh. (laughs) Someone at an airport's looking at that, that, dadgummit, that's going to make my flight late. Yeah, right. (laughs) And that's where they've reached, and that's where the audience has has arrived. We've seen you do the giant, epic storytelling. We've seen you do the the end-of-the-world consequences. Give us something that's more character-driven, something that is smaller, quieter, that is really going to show how these characters show us how good these actors actually are they're signing on for a reason and not just for the you know disney size paycheck gotcha so what i'm hearing you say is that during during the 90s from star wars it was different because yeah there was a lot of stuff that was coming out all the time but it was variations in the media and variations in the types of stories like we had the courtship of princess leia which was supposed to be the love story between han and leia um (laughs) The 80s and 90s Star Wars time is a very different beast, I feel, because all that we had coming out was occasionally books. We still just had the three original movies. We started getting novels after Timothy Zahn came and just wrote the best Star Wars novels to ever exist. Um, Brian, I like how you describe those to somebody. It's like if Tom Clancy wrote Star Wars. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's how they felt to me. Yeah, to me as well. And they, you know, did some comic books, but we were still just kind of being fed breadcrumbs a bit by bit while we were waiting to see if they were ever going to make more movies. And then we got the prequels. And then from that came the landslide, started the landslide of new material. Okay. And which Disney has just amped up even more. I mean, they are making money off it. So mouse is going to do what a mouse is going to do. Truth. For for me, I think that the real fatigue set in with with the contemporary story is actually with Doctor Who, um, because I I have this idea that I think that some of fatigue means that there's a pressure to keep up with what's coming out. Like they can release a ton of stuff. I mean, Toyota comes out with a new model of whatever every year. I don't feel the need to buy it. You know, I'm perfectly happy with what I'm driving. <laughs> Um, and so well, then Toyota has failed in their marketing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder if there is some either social pressure to keep up with our friends or the, what the fandoms are discussing. Maybe there's a fear of missing out on the fact that the marketers are telling us that this is the most amazing star Wars that's ever star Wars since star Wars or, or what it is. Cause I felt a pressure with the last season of doctor who and Part of it was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I've, I've loved Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. Like she has been amazing. I have not felt the same way about the writing, but mm-hmm. 
the chemistry that we'd had between the between the actors and the presence that Jodie Whittaker has has brought to the screen and some of the quirky situations and a couple of good episodes have kept it going for me. So we bought the most recent season. And so when it comes time, we just bought it straight away. And we watched the first episode. And we're like, eh, well, that was kind of bad. So let's watch the second one. Okay, it's a two-parter. Wait, no, this is a three-parter. Oh, the same story. The same story is for the whole season. And we hated the story. And it was a season-long arc rather than a monster of the week sort of thing. And we bought it so we felt the need to keep going with this with this sunk cost and at this point i'm like i don't care anymore like the holiday special came out and i can't bring myself to rent it or buy it because i don't i don't want to Mm -hmm. i loved when they rebooted the doctor i thought that christopher eccleston was incredible as a modern day doctor and I thought, he's going to be around for years. This will be great. And then he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got David Tennant, who I loved even more. And we got a great run with him. And then they brought on Matt Smith, who was even better still, I thought. And I was so emotionally invested in the character in the show that when his run finished, I, I felt emotionally exhausted. Mm. And I just didn't feel like I had it in me to go another round with a new doctor. Nothing against Peter Capaldi. I've watched a couple of episodes with him. He is great. From what I understand, the stories that were told in his one were fantastic. I just didn't have the emotional connection with him that I needed to to stick around with it. I've not hardly watched any of his. I heard that Jody is was fantastic. I think I've watched half an episode of hers. And, you know, she's on the way out now. So I don't know when and if I'm going to feel the urge to reconnect with it. But that's okay, because there's lots of other sci-fi out there. Right. <laughs> well, what about this new Star Wars? You feel the need to check out Andor when it comes out? Whether I feel the need to or not, I'm going to watch it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's... It's, it's like Brian with Lord of the Rings. Whether he's yeah. a fan of it right now or not, I can guarantee you that the next episode comes out, he's going to watch it. You're exactly correct. <laughs> it's going to be the same thing with me with Andor now this has actually been one I have been looking forward to the Star Wars TV shows truly for me have been hit and miss Mandalorian has been hit but also miss the book of Boba Fett moving on Um, it's mostly miss for me same Obi-Wan was mostly a hit for me but we talked about on this show already right Uh, Andor, from what I've seen, if it is what the trailers actually show it to be, then I'm looking forward to it because, like I said, this is going to be a a Star Wars on a much smaller personal level. There are gigantic galaxy-ending implications on the horizon. We know where it's going, but I'm fascinated to look at this character and to seeing the rebellion in a very precarious place. Um, Is this show following the the character from Rogue One? Is that what it is? Yes, it is. Okay. So every time I see it, I think it's about a planet called Andor because obviously Andor is a planet, but that's in Star Trek. <laughs> it's also a so country in Wheel of Time. Oh. Actually, Brian, it's a crossover. Oh my gosh. Andor versus the Andorians. It. It's a three-way crossover. The Wheel of Time, Star Trek, and Star Wars. 
I can't see any way this could possibly go wrong. And all the fans were proclaiming, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that there's there's also a potential other reason why why we feel the need to watch these. I, I know there was one one time I went through an MCU movie on a rewatch just to see like, oh, how does this interconnect with things that come later? And, and maybe that's part of the marketing scheme is that we make sure that these things at least have references to each other. So we feel like we have to watch the whole thing in order to 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 not miss out on the I don't know the, the nuances yeah. the broader the broader story or the story behind the story maybe you can figure out with your secret knowledge what's actually coming if maybe you just watch everything and instead it's just be sure to drink more Ovaltine. <laughs> I have appreciated uh, what they've they've got on Disney Plus is this Legends series which just gives you like the high points of the characters that are in the movie that's coming up. Hmm. I'm about to watch uh, Thor love and thunder. It's like, instead of watching all the Thor movies again, I'm just going to watch these legends episodes or like three or four minutes along to get the story of Thor and Jane Foster and Valkyrie. So, okay, now I'm caught up. I kind of like that. I didn't know they had that very good idea, but yeah, the, the wanting to be aware of all the complexities and the interconnectedness and, and just not falling behind in a, in a story I think is a big contributor. And sometimes that's, you know, wasted effort. Like if you're watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. before the events of Infinity War and Endgame and you realize, oh, they just gave up trying to keep it connected. (laughs) (laughs) So do you guys remember in all your years of geekiness, what was the first time that you think that you experienced a kind of franchise fatigue? Walking out of the theater in 1983 after Revenge of the Jedi. No, just kidding. Sorry. Return <laughs> of the Jedi. Jeez. Wow. wow. How did I go that far back in the 80s? Mike, Mike is living in an alternate universe in which they didn't change the title. I know. Wow. What happened to me? <laughs> um, no, seriously, I think that that there was a time when I was trying to keep up with the burden of buying the next RPG book in a series to make sure that the collection was complete and that I had access to all the feats and talents and all of the species and all of the ships. And there was like this kind of a relief when I found out that the series was ending. It was like, (laughs) oh, good. Because now I, I have it all. I don't have to keep up. And we were also doing a thing where we were converting all of the D20 Saga stats into d6 and posting them out on one of our boards and it's like oh good that very long project is finally going to be over and that felt so satisfying in role-playing terms i think i had preemptive uh franchise fatigue with dnd3 because i saw how many books there were and i was like nope i'm not doing dnd <laughs> uh but no seriously the the first time I remember having this feeling, it wasn't a, a single franchise, but it was when we were in that glut of massive war epics. And I think it was sometime oh. around the Patriot when I'm just like, I don't want to watch another war movie ever. You know, it, it started with Braveheart and it ended there. <laughs> so basically you're just really sick of period Mel Gibson. Yeah. But, you know, there are other other movies that fit in there, too. The Gladiator. Gladiator, I think, was the last one that I really enjoyed watching. And then after that, it was just 
every new one was just a little bit harder to to sit down and watch. So that's the first time I remember feeling what I'm feeling now in terms of mm -hmm. just being a little tired of, of franchises. This will be no surprise, but mine was also Star Wars related. This was in the late 90s when uh, the Yu Zan Vong Star Wars novels started to come out. Now, I'd been faithfully buying Star Wars novels for years through the best and the worst. Crystal Star. Crystal Star, the Jedi Academy trilogy, <laughs> um, <laughs> and the high points, like all of the X-Wing books. Those are kind of a standard I hold Star Wars books to. Yeah, they were all a varying level of quality. When the Yuuzhan Vong books came out, I was starting to feel less excited and more like I was obligated to buy them as a fan because of, you know, I enjoyed Star Wars. That was all we were getting at the moment. By the time I got into the Yuuzhan Vong novels and really realized where they were going, I talked about this in episodes before, I didn't really enjoy it that much. I didn't like the concept, but I feel like I had to, well, not that I had to, but I'm like, I, I, I have to finish this. I started this. I have to see where this ends up just so I can be done with it. And they continued with more novels after the Yuuzhan Vong in this new Star Wars universe. But I really didn't buy any of them because my enthusiasm for them as a whole had just gone away, had just died out. Yeah, I, I uh, lost my interest long before you did. I got to the place where I was like, if the cover has Stackpole or Zahn on it, I will read it. Other than that, nah, <laughs> you can keep it. <laughs> yeah. See, I kind well, of fell off of them without the fatigue that I was just like, okay, I've had my fill. Unless the entire Star Wars community holds hands and says, this is absolutely amazing, I'm going to pass. And then... That's never going to happen. Well, they they I, it seemed pretty pretty spot on for Shadows of the Empire. And I'm like, okay, if this is so amazing, I'll read Shadows of the Empire. And I'm like, that was not worth coming out of hiding for. So, <laughs> great. So we've talked a lot about how franchises have lost us. Specifically, our stories seem to be Star Wars related. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what have some franchises done? And are there any that have done something that have pulled us back into them? A reboot. A reboot will totally do it for me. I just need you to reboot whatever. And I will be like, <laughs> push the hard reset on all of Star Wars and start over again. And I will be so into it. No, I will not be. <laughs> I don't really feel like there's one that's really doing that for me at the moment because DC has never really come up with a, a proper franchise formula. So I can't really say that the coming black Adam is doing that for me because everything else has been so non franchisey. Yeah. I think that for me, um, I had bought some Star Wars novels that I had never read. Like, you know, I'd said I'd sworn off Star Wars novels like two or three times. There was a time in which I had just not really ingested any new Star Wars for a really long time. Like a really long time. And I kind of looked over at the courtship of Princess Leia and the Darksaber novel oh dark saber oh do you know what it dude it i'm not saying that it was great but it scratched the right itch for me at the time 
it was Ow. it was a thing that I I had sworn them I'd sworn off them because I was I was over it. I didn't feel the need, but I wanted a cheap read. Without it, it wasn't new, so it wasn't going to do anything to change canon. It wasn't laying the burden of what does this mean for my RPGs. The expanded universe had already moved so far on from it that it didn't matter. That I just kind of picked it up. I'm like, huh. <laughs> yeah this doesn't make sense anymore i don't care <laughs> maybe it was just the not caring like a there was just this lie fallow component and also i i didn't care enough except for other than the experience of what was in the novel yeah and i think that that idea of just letting something lie for a long time because that's what got us so excited about star wars mm -hmm. um Back in the days, I, re I remember specifically sitting in the theater. I don't remember what movie we were watching, but all they did was throw this Roman numeral one on the screen. That was it. And James stands up and cheers. Well, he's <laughs> excited about Roman numerals as it is. I mean, you, that's the best one, honestly. You put L-I-V <laughs> on a screen in front of him and he is going to lose his mind. <laughs> and so that, that idea of... There hasn't been this thing in a long time, and now we have it, and we're excited about it. Mm -hmm. Is that's like the opposite of the franchise fatigue? You know, now we've got so much of it, and we're sick of it. Yeah, and I think that when we have a dearth of it, we also tend to look back with rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. uh, we start to fondly remember the good points. Uh, we're easier to forgive the low points, and starting to wistfully wish that. Man, it would be nice to know where, where they went with this story, what's happened with that character. And so when after a certain amount of time comes and we do see that they're offering something new, we start to get some of that old excitement back. Mm -hmm. And thinking that, oh my gosh, new material, a new movie, a new show. This will be just as good as the old one. And is it ever? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no, mostly no. But sometimes they're Battlestar Galactica. Sometimes they're Battlestar Galactica, exactly. Wait, am I a Cylon? Well, we weren't going to tell you. Oh. Yes, we established this long ago. I don't know, Mike. Do you have a plan? I I, I don't. Do you hear all I... along the watchtower at weird times of the day? No. I'm, I don't know if my spine glows, so I don't, I don't know. When Kaja asks you to do something, instead of saying yes, dear, do you sometimes go by your command? Uh, I feel like maybe now I should. <laughs> <laughs> Your eyes ever turn red and ping pong back and forth across your skull. <laughs> you might be a Cylon. <laughs> that depends on how many chai chili peppers I'm putting in my food. But if the mass extermination of an entire species has you going, that sounds interesting. You might be a Cylon. <laughs> <laughs> it should have just been an internet quiz on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's there's something that you had kind of said about watching these these new star wars movies and tv shows that you said you know recapturing what you had as a child maybe is some part of our fatigue that we saddle it with being something other than the experience that it is or not or is it just that you know it doesn't matter what the experience is if, if there's there's such a thing as too many lightsabers in your life okay first off there's no such thing as too many lightsabers in your life <laughs> Thank you, General Grievous. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I think especially people our age, really any age, that we're going to look at Star Wars and there's always going to be even the subconscious comparison to our first experience with it. I mean, for us, it's going to be the original trilogy, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Others are going to be comparing it to different things, uh, whether it was the prequels, a Star Wars cartoon or what. But I mean, that's that's what we're always going to do. Trying to get back to that first hit always. Or maybe not that first hit, but there's always going to be the comparison in our mind. Yeah. And I believe we all going into it hoping that we're going to experience some of that same joy and enthusiasm that we did the first time we experienced it. And then when it comes to the point that uh, the producers are just trying to manufacture that for us mm-hmm. and largely failing, that's where the the boredom is is setting in. Yeah. I mean, I think that it was... I mean, for me, I think the thing that made, like you guys, that made a new Star Wars trilogy so exciting is that we hadn't had a new one in so many years. And yeah. then, again, we hadn't had one in so many years. Uh, and it's it's kind of hard to build anticipation if you feel saturated with something. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the problem that these marketers have, is that they want us to feel really excited about the next thing that's coming out. And I I do find it unfortunate. That's their job to make us feel something that only a lack of products can really deliver or maybe something other than a lack of products, but that would, Mm -hmm. that would certainly do it. You can't make your money on those products if you're not making them. Well, you know, uh, for a while under Michael Eisner, Disney was doing exactly that. That's true. They were putting things in the vault and then saying, we're not going to release this again. This is not going to be available for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that was getting people say, oh, hey, I've got to buy it now so I can show this to my kids when when it's time. Yeah. And it was building that excitement for something because something that is scarce is more valuable. And now we have Disney Plus. Yes. Which I'm, <laughs> and, I'm not going to say is a bad thing because Owl House and Amphibia are amazing. But anyway, go on. <laughs> I didn't have anything to go on to. I was done. Well, (laughs) let me step away from Star Wars for a minute in the discussion of fatigue. Something more recent. I've talked extensively how much I both enjoyed and then got tired of the game Destiny 2. When it first came out, I was really hot for it. I had played Destiny 1 extensively. Then when the second one came out, I had a group of people I was ready to play with. And for quite a while, we enjoyed all of the the missions, the raids, and like they did with the first Destiny, they began releasing different seasons and expansions. And I noticed that as time went on, that some of my clan members started to go on to play other things. I wasn't really satisfied with the expansions that were coming out. And because Destiny had always been a very social game for me, I was uh, interested in playing with friends as much as I was playing the storyline or the missions my enthusiasm for it began to wane and I found out that I was getting on every other night, not out of enjoyment, but just so I could do daily missions, get a little bit better gear. And it had truly become a grind for me. And that's when I decided, all right, I'm going to go do something else. Now I have not played it consistently in over a year. Brian and I played once about a month ago. And we should do so again. But I keep up with like the expansions and the new seasons that have come out. And they've just released one that has got a pirate theme. 
And in the next big expansion called Lightfall, which is coming out early 2023, has really got me intrigued. To the point that I've noticed that some of my old clan members are getting back on. And uh, I really enjoyed the world and the history of it. And so I think that I might get back in. I guess it's been more than a year. And I, I think I'm ready. I've, I've been playing more and more the last couple of weeks, getting some new gear, getting my light level back up. And uh, I've, I've been finding enjoyment in it. Whereas six months to a year ago, I really did not have any. Now, speaking of games, I kind of started feeling fatigued with Magic the Gathering. I think a lot of people are, I was reading something that uh, Wizards has released so many new expansions, like they're, they're coming faster now than they used to. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's like, I just can't keep up with all of the new cards anymore. Uh, and some of the, the themes have not been particularly compelling, like the, the Forgotten Realms expansion. Yeah. Meh. It was not great. Um, and so I was, I was feeling the same way as like, I've been logging in and doing my missions and then logging out and that's it. And now I'm wondering why am I still doing that? You know, I <laughs> discovered something playing magic, the gathering arena. I enjoy playing with you, but I found that that's been about it. Yeah. It's not fun playing with randos. It's not. And I also was getting very tired that I download the latest expansion and I'd get some new cards, get some new packs here and there. I'd get the pre-made decks they'd give me. I'd modify them. And then as soon as the next expansion came out, I'd find that all the decks that I had meticulously created, three quarters of them are now illegal. Can't use them anymore. Oh, no. Well, you can still use them in the historic version, just not in standard. But you know what I'm getting at. You need to change this out if you want to play all of these other styles of play. Just to clarify for the parts of the audience that don't play Magic. Yeah. (laughs) I discovered playing against randos, just there's no fun there. I mean, when I learned how to play Magic, it was also a social thing, learning to play with you and others. And I think if I had some other friends in the geek community who I could, like, talk to as I play, that might Mm -hmm. change it for me. But um, I found that my greatest enjoyment with Magic comes from actually sitting across from my opponent and playing with physical cards. Yeah. But now that my schedule has changed at work and I'm back on daytimes instead of evenings, I've been considering going and hitting up like the Friday night magic at one of the local game and card shops. I don't know. We'll see. I think it'd be enjoyable to do. I'm also worried that because I've, I've heard some things have changed in the rules as far as like the stack and how things resolve. So I don't want to go in there and just be completely wrong. Right. <laughs> but don't worry. There is a sixth grader who will explain it to you. <laughs> probably <laughs> so like I said I'm looking forward to trying some more Destiny and uh, Mike I think you brought this up at one point there's something to be said about letting the property that you enjoy life fallow for a bit yeah even if the producers aren't like the people making the content like you can just step away and it's okay You're if you're not enjoying it you're not missing out and Sure, you won't be able to participate in those conversations of outrage on Twitter. And I know how sad it makes you feel to not be able to tell other people how wrong they are on the internet. But it can actually be pretty freeing when you don't care. Now, I need to I need to write my book on 10 steps to not caring. You would sell a billion copies. I have not figured out the knack. <laughs> actually, I think... Uh... What was that guy's Seneca? 
philosopher wrote that book. Okay, then I'm definitely going to have to look that up and then turn it into a self-help <laughs> novel and then watch all the classics majors just get angry at me. <laughs> and then when they get well, really, you know, when they get really just, angry, I'll hand them a copy of the book. You just just uh, publish it word for word. It's public domain. They can't do anything to you. Oh my gosh, they can't. <laughs> but you need to make rule number one. Stop arguing with people on the internet. Yeah, Seneca was all about stopping arguing on the internet. I'll mm -hmm. just plagiarize Seneca and just add on the internet in, in, in random variables. <laughs> Could probably even just write a script to it, just insert that in, into the thing, just automate the whole thing. Oh, now selling that bot. Now that's where the real money is made. Anyway. <laughs> I think that we've gotten far enough afield that maybe, maybe we have, we have said all that we we can effectively say. Unless anybody has any concluding unscientific postscripts. Now I'm getting tired of this conversation and this topic. I, I know I mean, it's really with it. Let's move on. Yeah, it's time to just let it lie fallow. Yeah. <laughs> well, any final thoughts? Most people have more than the average numbers of hands. <laughs> That's the way that math works. It feels wrong, but there it is. <laughs> and that's going to be in my head for a while now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking about not having any hands, let's move on to the zombie apocalypse plan of the week. Mike, what's the plan for this episode? I'm so tired of doing these. Can we just let it lie? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I think that this week, what we're really trying to do is uh, try to help out those who are living in the more rural communities. And what you really need to do is combine your efforts. And no, not combine, combine your efforts. Really just circle up five or six combines, start them to running and camp in the middle. I'm pretty sure you'll be okay if any of them start wandering up towards your camp. It, it'll sort itself out. That means I don't have to go anywhere, so I like it. How has that scene not made it into a zombie apocalypse movie yet? That'd be fantastic. And there's some guy sitting by some just massive gas container like, yep, we're going to be good for another six months, so keep them coming. Now I want to see the Netflix series, The Redneck Apocalypse, where oh a bunch gosh. of do-it-yourself rednecks from the Midwest figure out how to survive the apocalypse with just what they've got on their land. I feel like that's a really relaxed show. <laughs> Saw a couple of crawlers come through the west field yesterday. I'll fire up John Deere. Yep, that'll do it. Cue the credits. <laughs> uh, I think that that will wrap it up for this episode. Once again, thank you all for listening in. And make sure you check us out online at geekatarms.com. Uh, facebook.com slash geek at arms and mike what's our twitter we are arms geek on twitter also we ask you to leave us a review give us a like it really does help the show and as always from brian mike and james be safe be blessed and be geeky Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome. And now enjoy the sound of me failing to solve the Rubik's Cube.
This is another pointless waiting moment brought to you by Geek at Arms.